Welcome to the Dynasty Strategy Hub. I'm your host, Andrew Ferraro, here with my co-host, Dave Sanders. If you guys aren't aware, it is draft season. Uh, so before we bring back some great guests, Dave and I are going to talk about rookie drafts. Your rookie draft could be coming up next week. It could be next month. It could be three months from now. But it is draft season. Dave, offseason's here. What's the first thing you do with your teams? Yeah, so the first thing I like to do is go team by team and evaluate, you know, am I contender now? If not, how far down the road will I be a contender? And that kind of lays out my game plan for the offseason to understand, am I buying bets? Am I trying to buy more picks? Um, really kind of set a game plan across all my leagues. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same way. I like to color code, um, like I said, across my spreadsheets. Uh, green of guys I definitely want to keep. Yellow, I've got my concerns about, but I'm definitely, you know, okay with tra uh, trading or, or cutting or moving in the right deal. Then red are the guys I'm ready to ship off. Um, sometimes those guys in red can be good players. Um, you know, I'd rather be a year too early on a guy, me personally, and that miss a great year of production and say out of uh, – you know, just for an example, say DeAndre Hopkins, I'd rather be out on him a year early and then be stuck with him a year or two too long, hoping he bounces back. Uh, yeah, so I bet David Johnson owners were thinking that, you know, a year ago. Exactly. So you're like, okay, David Johnson's coming off the knee injury. He'll be fine. Like, he's going to be – he's the man. Really, looking back on it, you should have cut bait either then or moved him right after his, you know, great season. And that can be the hard thing to do because we just – you know, we can project as much as we project to know as much of this as we think we might. Um, but oftentimes our projections end up not being correct. But to your point, I like to more often than not get off an asset while it's at its peak and then, um, you know, translate that into a couple of different assets that hopefully grow over time instead of getting stuck with a depreciating asset like that. Yeah. Last thing I want to do, like I said, is I don't want the, uh, the music to end and I'm the one holding tray. Uh, so that, that's kind of my thing. I also kind of look for me, I like to build my rosters. Where might the holes be in say two, maybe three years. Um, and everybody's excited when they've got a Todd Gurley, then the wheels fall off or a Cam Newton. And then it's injury after injury. And you're like, man, he could bounce back, but do I, how many years do I got left in that? So for me, it's kind of working that little window to figure out, like I said, along with the color coding of who am I going to keep and where do I need to fill my holes in? And those are going to be evaluations that I like the most. If an asset like that, like Gurley is depreciating, do you think it's going to depreciate further and therefore you sell? Or do you think it's kind of the market's overcorrected and now it's time to buy? That's what makes Dynasty really interesting to me. Definitely. And I mean, the key thing is it's what evaluators do you look at and, you know, who do you trust? Me personally, I'm, I'm not a film grinder. I just don't have time. Uh, like I said, I, I referee, I got a full-time job. I've got a wife and a son. Like I, I just don't have time to, to sit there and grind film from guys here in draft season. So uh, what do you do, Dave? Do you have guys you trust? How do you kind of work through either building rankings or looking at evaluations? Yeah. Similar to your approach. Um, don't have, don't spend the time grinding tape myself. Wish I had the time to do it. Uh, and I think there are people that are really more talented at that than I am. Um, so I have a couple that I follow their, you know, analysis and rankings closely and then build tiered rankings myself based on their analysis. So, you know, marking down all the traits that they see and then looking, you know, myself at which traits matter most to me as a fantasy owner uh, and then kind of going from there so that I go into the drafts with an idea of who I want to take, uh, but it's not using somebody's list verbatim, I guess I could say. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm probably on the same same path. Um, I like to know how what the process my evaluators use. Uh, for me, 
everybody can hit on some dudes, everybody can miss on some guys, um, but it's what kind of process do you have? You know, hey, because if you're going to build a ranking, I want to know how you got to where you got. Because like you, like you and I said earlier, I don't really don't have the time to, to grind film or really be good at that type of analysis. So to build my rankings, I kind of want to know what your process is. So I can take, honestly, about three or four voices. And then, honestly, there's always a couple guys that I like a little bit more than maybe others or guys I don't necessarily like because I'd almost say I'd, I'd rather like to miss on a guy to hit on somebody else versus, you know, following the sheep and always picking what, you know, certain people tell you to do. I think that's what make this, makes this fun, too, is that if you don't deviate from, you know, expert lists and stuff like that, you're taking some of the owner, you know, taking some of your ownership out of it and you're just executing somebody else's game plan. So it's fun to have those guys that, you know, we believe in more than others. And then when they work out, it's awesome. And when they don't, it's really tough, but it's just kind of putting your stamp on it is nice. Um, you know, when drafts are coming up, they say that week before, or maybe the first round's kicked off, what are some strategies you use um, to kind of navigate, you know, navigate the draft itself? Um, honestly, when the draft's getting ready to kick off and we kind of get into it, it's honestly probably the busiest time of the year for me. Um, I'm always looking at, like I said, we, we talked about building tier rankings. So I know who's in my top tier. You know, I know is that two picks, is that three or four picks. Um, so I know if there's a guy that I've got, say, is a top two, two or three player and we're now on pick five, hey, now it's time for me to kind of start inquiring about, okay, hey, what's it going to take to move up from where I may be at, say, 10 to go to five? Or what's it going to take there? Um, and just kind of reading my owners. I know Leo talked to great on our season one about our notebooks. So I think that's really where having a notebook pays off for really learning about your guys. Yeah, and understanding, um, you know, the behaviors of your league mates is sometimes almost as important as knowing, you know, knowing the rookies in the class. I know what I like to do is – move up and down the draft board pretty actively. So um, I'll have my tiered rankings. And then as soon as somebody, you know, as you mentioned, falls farther than I think they should fall, um, I'm definitely getting in touch with those owners. A lot of times I'll even reach out if I don't even have a first round pick, start talking to owners in the first round just to understand what it would take so that if my guy does fall, the framework's kind of already there to understand is this a possibility or is it not? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can never talk too much. I think during during a draft – um, there's a lot of times you can do some flipping. So, you know, can you move, say, the one, you know, right at the end, a late first rounder. So it's 1, 1.11, 1.12, 1.14, 1.16, depending on what kind of league you're in. You know, can I get that for a 2021 first and, say, another pick? Uh, or the other way around, if I want to hop right back in, you know, we talked about RSO um, in previous pods, but, you know, they've got a fifth-year option on a first round pick so hey it may make more sense to see hey can I hop in and grab that extra that extra year on a Kyler Murray type or a, you know late in the first round for last year might have been a, a Terry McLaurin so can I get him for an extra an extra year so really just kind of making sure that you're not afraid to hop in or out and I think people get excited about stockpiling future picks so they what's your opinion on you know trying to get those extra future picks I think it really just depends on um how eager the, you know, the other person in the trade is to move those picks or to keep those picks. So using the notebook strategy is really good. If you can understand that some of your league mates overvalue their players and are too optimistic about their teams, I think they're a contender before you might think they're ready to be a contender. And if you can buy their future picks at what you think is a discount, if they're projecting themselves to be a contender and those might be late picks. You think they might be early to mid picks. Um, there's definitely like a gap there in value and you might be able to get those picks easier. 
I like to, you know, acquire as many future picks as possible. Or if I have a lot of rookies on my roster and maybe I have a couple of second round picks, I might try to move one for a, you know, a next year's second just to kind of keep that arsenal. And then next year I go into the draft with extra draft capital that I can use in trades. Just gives more flexibility. Kind of like what you see the Patriots do from time to time, moving back, adding those picks just gives more flexibility. Yeah, I think moving back is always a quality thing. If you can move back to pick up, you know, if you move from, say, 1-7 to one ten and pick up a future, even if it's a future third, um, I'm notorious for adding future picks in about every deal. You know, I, I don't care if it's, a, at this point, a 2021 third or a 2021 second or, hey, can I move my 2021 third for your 2021 second in a deal? Um, I usually, even if I will accept the deal, try to counter with picking up a, a late third or something like that. Cause it just gives you kind of more weapons. Um, the other thing that I've noticed is people get, especially right now. And as we get into these rookie drafts, kind of what I call rookie fever, um, well, they will make stupid moves to get the new hot toy. Um, or like I said, you know, if you have the 2020 1.01 to 1.04, you can sell that for a King's ransom. So, Dave, when do you kind of move some of these picks during rookie fever for vets? Is, is that something you do, or are you just kind of, hey, I don't want those rookies? Yeah, for the most part, I think draft picks are always increasing in value, and they're never more valuable than they are during the draft itself. So I typically like to wait, um, but I won't use that as a hard and fast rule that I won't go against. I know some folks, it, they completely won't will wait because of that, um, but I think there are opportunities sooner that if somebody is, you know, already has their rankings done and is keen on getting, you know, the 101 or 102 from you and they know who they want to get, there might be an opportunity to sell sooner if that person's really motivated to make a deal, say in December or January or February, that you may not have to wait. Uh, but for the most part, picks keep increasing in value. Are you one, I guess, if you are a contender, say it's week eight, you know, of this fantasy season, you're a contender, how willing are you to move your first round pick in a trade? Or are you kind of first round picks are more off limits and you're focused on, trading away some, you know, younger players that aren't helping you right now? Where do you kind of fall in that landscape? Um, if I can win a chance, honestly, for me, the name of the game is winning championships. So if you tell me I've got to move 1.10, 1.11 for a shot at winning the title, I'm taking it, me personally. Uh, if it's one of those, obviously, depending on what the draft class looks, um, every year everybody feels like tells me that next year's draft is better than the current year. Um, this year is a common theme. It's a common theme of, I heard it in 2018, all that 2019 class is where it's at. Um, I heard it 2019, all the 2020 classes is unstoppable. I really want those 2020 picks. Um, you don't quite hear as much this year, but there's still always the, man, I really want that next year's pick because that this class is going to have X, Y, and Z. These guys are going to be fantastic. Um, but it never quite seems to quite pan that way. If I can win a championship, I'll move the picks. Um, I'd rather have to go into a make it make a run at a title, fall slightly short, and have to start selling off vets or do things like that. Even if I have a down year, like I said, I think that's where the projections at the end of the year come in. Say, okay, hey, I'm in our swing for it. I didn't get it. Do I need to blow all of this up, or what can I do? So, Dave, if you're kind of in contention, rolling to looking at the playoffs, are you going to move a pick, or are you just going to try to say, hey, no, I really want those first rounders because they're important. Yeah, the first rounders are hard to come by for me. I think since they do increase in value over time, I typically like to keep them. But to your point, if you are contending, this is about winning championships. It's about, um, you know, having teams that compete in the playoffs and all of that. So I'd be willing to move it first, but it would just have to be for somebody that's probably got value over at least two years. I wouldn't be just for, um, you know, a veteran probably in that final year. 
Yeah, I'm not saying I would move, you know, first for a Larry Fitzgerald to try to put me over the top. I wouldn't do something sure. like that. But if you tell me I can move it first to pick up, say, a struggling juju, then, yeah, maybe I'm interested. Or if I could move it first for a guy who's, who's going to get me some points but maybe isn't quite going to be good as, you know, a late first rounder. But I think a lot of it comes down to is what is your hit rate on your draft? So mm-hmm. – are you feeling like, hey, I'm a pretty good drafter. I feel like my rankings are good, but all those guys with, you know, Keneal Harry and, and stuff like that, it's are you feeling comfortable about what you did last year? So do you try to target, say, guys that struggled after year one or struggled after year two, or do you just not really worry about it, and, or not, and especially during the draft? Yeah, it's it's really a case by case basis for me. Um, one of the worst trades I ever made was trading away Wentz. Uh, this was Matt Williamson um, in one of the hyperactive leagues. Trade away Wentz in a one quarterback league. Wentz in a early second round pick for Rashad Perryman, and that was after his really bad rookie year. And I still was such a believer and thought, oh, he's going to turn this around. And it never really worked until last year, which he's long gone from my roster. But I think it's really case by case. I went in all in on um, Kevin White even after he was injured a million times. Um, there have been some other guys where I've been hesitant and they've worked out too. So it's, I think it's just hit and miss. I don't think there's like a hard and cruel. How about you? I think it's about process. And that's one of the things I've really worked on, especially this last year. Cause I had a lot of, I, I felt like misses in guys that I really liked and I couldn't quite always figure out why. So I had to go me personally. And then this is probably the hardest thing I think for dynasty owners to really do is say, okay, Hey, you know, I traded back, but I picked up – and I, I think actually in the league I traded up and got Harry because he fell to like 1.3 or 1.4. I'm like, oh, man, I feel really good about that. But then I look back and say, okay, hey, were there some red flags? He struggled through year one. Is that just a Belichick offense where everybody struggles? Is that, a, you know, Tom Brady getting old, he doesn't trust young guys? So I really have kind of gone back through and say, let me look at my process. The hardest thing I think is cutting bait and getting rid of those guys – like a Perryman that waited too long or Kevin White is, is your, uh, I don't want to say golden horse, but that's the <laughs> one you've, you've, you've been about Kevin White and that's a blind spot. So it's really kind of picking out those biases. Uh, so Dave, are you kind of looking more at like how NFL teams are doing their investments? Like, Hey, like a Harry went in the first round for the Patriots or are you kind of looking at pre-draft expectations? I'm curious your answer on this one too. I think for me, it's more, I definitely favor the NFL, um, you know, draft capital used on the player over my pre-draft evaluation. So I know we were in a league together and after the draft, even Hakeem Bailey went 1.02. And I just couldn't believe that given that he was, I think a day three pick, early day three pick in the NFL. Um, to me, that just signaled way too many warning signs to warrant that high of a pick in our fantasy leagues. So for me, if somebody goes in the first round, they shoot up my board, Michael Hardman, um, is a good example. I was still too late on that, and I was still sticking too much to pre-draft last year. Uh, and thinking in hindsight, adding a you know, really, really fast player who can do, um, you know, open that up even more for the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, that almost made too much sense to not, you know, be interested in him in the first. And I really wasn't, to be honest. Um, for you, is it more, you know, do you follow a similar mindset there with valuing the draft capital, or do you stick to more pre-draft valuations and what you've kind of put in over time? Um, I, for, it's almost a case by case. Like I said, I think Hardman was one of those ones 
certain people really jumped on it. They were like, oh, man, it's like Tyreek Hill 2.0. He's super fast. Like, it's going to be great in that offense. Two guys take the lid off. Where I was like, is there a lot of room for him? Because I was like, okay, well, if Hill's going to catch a bunch of balls, Kelsey's going to catch the balls. You know, they got Watkins. They got a bunch of guys. Where is he really going to fit? Um, one of the things I've really tried to work on is removing some of those blind spots, as I talked about. Um, there are certain players that I really tend to like, uh, Kelvin Harmon being one of them, that I'm like, that's my dude. I love what he can do. Um, you know, I'm in North Carolina, so I see more ACC ball. I'm like, this dude's a baller. He's going to get it. Then he goes, and I think, like, the sixth, and I'm like, oh, shit, uh, what do I do there? But I still end up finding my, my way back into him. Um, I would like to say NFL evaluators are good at what they do, but I would say their hit rate's probably as good as the dynasty community. So it's, it's kind of a toss-up. So for me, a lot of it is what traits have I seen? And that's really kind of where I'm looking at in 2020, 2021, kind of going forward in my process is what traits have I identified that I liked? Are there certain maybe college dominators, certain stats that breed a little bit more toward success? And then honestly, for me, dynasty is about having fun. So there are certain dudes I will go after late in a draft whether or not they should be on my roster or not. So we talked a lot about a pick-by-pick -pick format for a rookie draft, but how would your strategy change if the league utilizes an auction format? Um, obviously, we talked the notebook earlier um, that Leo talks about, and that's a great interview from season one. Um, so it's just kind of knowing some owners. And I also, for me, in an auction, I need to know how much money everybody has. Um, so I like to have a spreadsheet of how much money they got. And then if I know some traits about them, like this guy really loves running backs, this guy really loves wide receivers, um, I try to work off that. It's just, and I think you're pretty much the same way. For me, it's stars and scrubs. If I can sell out and get that one dude that I really want, I'm going to do it and then fill in with some flyers because I'm probably going to have a lot of space on the back end of a roster that if they don't work out, I'm just kind of, it doesn't cost me anything in the long run. Yeah, I think it's a fun spin on rookie drafts too because we all love auctions for, you know, startups. So why not have an auction as your rookie draft every year, your Debbie draft? I think that's something that Ryan McDowell's pushed in his leagues and it's been a fun addition, strikes up more conversation. It lets you put, you know, more of a stamp on your team, which is nice. I know with the traditional draft format, especially with startups, there's less flexibility and you're just kind of following rankings or whatnot. But with an auction, you have the ability to go stars and scrubs. You can find your way in the middle and every player, you know, have the, you have the opportunity to acquire every player, which is nice. And a rookie auction, that may not be the case given the way the money's broken down, but it still gives you more flexibility, which I always like in a fantasy league. Definitely. That, that's the thing I think the auction really gives you. There's a certain dude you want, you can go get him. Um, you may have to move some stuff to get more money. You may have to do some different things. But if, if you are adamant about having, you know, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins this year, whether we say Kwan a couple of years ago, you were like, hell, I really want this guy. You can go get it done. And regardless of you can win the championship, still go get it done. So the auction does make it open it up for everybody. Um, I like you see that Ryan does, does push a lot forward. They just kind of, like I said, always breeds more talking. And I think everybody enjoys the, the camaraderie and, and talking trades and having conversations in, in their leagues versus just like you said, following rankings and going step by step. Yeah, if you can take your tiered rankings that you have and then project out, you know, here's what I'm willing to spend on this tier and here's what I'm willing to spend on the next tier. When those players are up for auction, it's always, you know, you may jump in on a player you never expected to land because he's coming in at a price that you're comfortable with. Um, so it definitely just, it can keep your interest for longer too. If you know, I don't have a pick for 10 picks. I don't have the capital to move up. That's kind of a dead spot in a draft for you. But with an auction, you need to be ready at all times. 
Yeah. Now, how do you prevent, and since we're talking the auction format, um, I like to call it auction fever. Uh, you just get excited. You want to spend some money. You're, it's buy, 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 buy. I'm going to buy everybody. Um, so how do you really kind of hold back from just getting real excited and, and blowing either all your money or it's just overspending? That's definitely a balance. Um, I think doing mock auctions can definitely help. I know with rookie auctions, it's going to be a lot harder, but having your pre-draft valuations is probably the first step that I take. Um, knowing what you're willing to pay for the top tier guys when they come on the board, sticking to those numbers. Um, I was in a redraft league this year and I went first two players off the board, Barkley and McCaffrey, and I've got them both. And then I was pretty much out of money. Um, but the strategy overall worked and I ended up winning the championship because those players came in at numbers that I was comfortable with. They were each about $5 less than what I projected. And I wasn't afraid to spend that money early and kind of be left waiting for the rest of the draft because I did the homework on the front end and thought it would probably work as a strategy. So that's one example, but I think every auction, as we know, is a case by case basis and it's just all different, which makes it, you know, way more unpredictable and way more fun when you think about it like that. Definitely. Everything, even, even regular rookie jazz at this point are still reasonably unpredictable just based on, on the owners you work with. But I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. You have to have a limit. So you got to know, and um, I'm notorious for fuck it. It's only a dollar more. Um, and that turns into $5. And these next thing you know, it's I re- now I've gone so far. I really want this dude. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's finding what you're comfortable with spending. And then like you said, have an overall strategy. Um, so, but how does that strategy change for you either in an auction or just kind of the regular format? Do you have like one you go with or you just kind of keep it fluid? It's pretty fluid really. Uh, and one more thing just to add on auctions. I think you don't want to be the last person in the, maybe say a startup that needs, um, you know, needs a quarterback and you're getting down to the end in a super flex. I don't ever want to be the last guy with one, one or two good players left on the board because those players are going to go for way too much. So sometimes the values, even though it may seem crazy, the values can be early on when everybody else is saying, I want to save my money. I don't want to be the one that spends like crazy. Um, but that's why knowing your owners, we keep going back to that podcast with Leo. It's worth listening to um, and taking the time to jot something down. When you see a trade that you, kind of stands out to you in your inbox, mark it down um, so that later on, you know, maybe that's something that the, you know, an area you can take advantage of with that same owner down the road. Definitely. I think it's just a matter of, like I said, I never want to be the last guy holding money, um, but it is a fine balancing act of, kind of know what your strategy is. You have to have an idea of what you want to do. Um, and that'll kind of lead us into next week's st- our, our next pods topic and not necessarily next week, but when we get the next one out, I'm just kind of what our startup drafts and on auction strategies are. Um, so make sure you tune in for that one. Uh, Cause we'll kind of walk through, cause it is like we said, draft season. Um, so a lot of guys are hitting the startup, they're hitting their auctions. I'm um, not necessarily just rookies. So if you're interested in startups, um, that's going to be a great episode for you. We've got a lot of great topics to kind of cover through for that. Um, you can find me on Twitter. We thank you guys for listening. I'm at Drew Ferraro 88. Dave, where are you at? D Sanders 877. And the pod's at Strategy Hub Pod. Yeah, make sure you subscribe to that. We're putting a lot of little snippets out there. Um, if you've got some questions, comments, um, guys you want to see on the pod, let us know. We really look forward to your feedback. Again, we thank you guys for listening. Hope you really enjoy in season two. Game over.